0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Surreal is how the clerk in one of Colorado's largest counties describes the last two years, as the big lie has proliferated.
1: Chuck Broman, a Republican, runs elections in El Paso County. The people that have been questioning or having concerns about elections and their belief in this false narrative, they're my friends, they're my neighbors. Borman,
0: who's had to beef up security, says this issue isn't going anywhere. Just look at the Bush v. Gore debacle of 2000.
1: It took the better part of a decade for the uh, republic to uh, recover from that.
0: The El Paso County clerk talks through his preparations, with ballots hitting the mail soon for the midterms. Our election transparency series continues next.
2: What you get on a daily basis from Colorado Public Radio is thanks in large part to an ever-growing and dedicated community of support. As a member, you do more than listen. You help fund CPR. Thank you.
0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. It's a peculiar thing. Colorado is widely recognized as having safe vote-by-mail elections. Yet, this is also a hotbed for election fraud conspiracies. That makes the jobs of county clerks here both fulfilling and exhausting. In conservative El Paso County, election denialism abounds, and it's up to the Republican clerk to debunk it. For that work, Chuck Brorman has received the Guardian of Democracy Award from the Colorado County Clerks Association, and we spoke ahead of the midterms. Chuck, thank you for being with us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me today.
0: This Guardian of Democracy Award is brand new, uh, meaning you're the first to receive it. What do you think it means that it was created? And what does it mean to you to have received it?
1: I think it's the embodiment of what all election officials, all county clerk and recorders do, whether it's in Colorado or throughout the country. It's emblematic of the hard work and diligence and fidelity that clerk and recorders, election officials do to safeguard and protect our cherished institution of free, fair, and accurate elections. The basis as to why it was created, it's based on the challenges that all election administrators and county clerks have had to go through since the 2020 election. It's been extremely surreal what clerk and recorders have had to contend with. Never would have they thought that their character, their honesty would ever be challenged in the way that it's been done the last two years. Talk
0: to me about your own experience having your work and uh, your character questioned. How has that manifest for you in El Paso County?
1: It's been deep and it's been a, a sustained questioning of one's character and that of our team here. It started shortly after the 2020 elections. You know, we had probably what is considered one of the best elections that we've ever had. And we did it in the middle of a pandemic where we had to worry about people's safety and their health. And we did it in a fair, accurate uh, manner. We delivered results efficiently. We didn't have a bump at all. We kept our uh, election judges and staff safe through all that. So, one right after the election would look back and say, job well done. But then it was just a few short weeks after that that our work was called into question, both here and around the country, uh, having people that see things in other parts of the country and, and trying to say, well, if it happens in Atlanta or Detroit or Pennsylvania, then it must be happening here. And we, we have vastly different models and ways we do elections, though we all do it with a lot of checks and balances. It was the questions that we had and the call for forensic audits and the call for uh, scrutiny, which is greater scrutiny, which is fine by me. You know, I was asked in the General Assembly at a legislative audit if, committee if I would make available my ballot images. And I thought for a second, I said, well, why not? Why, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I go that extra mile to be transparent for our citizens? And we did that. But it was still more and more questions and more and more things that we did to try and answer those things and try as we best, it just never seemed to be enough for some people. Hmm.
0: Did you face threats, Chuck?
1: Yes, yes. We've had threats from the early days. Uh, We had calls where people would say, blood will be on your hands, calling you out, making nonspecific threats to you either as a person or to your election staff
0: did you need extra security?
1: You know, at the time we did not. We thought that was just something that was going to uh, ebb with time. So we did not. But since then, uh, we have added additional security to keep our our staff safe, keep our election judges safe. We never had to have our uh, administration area and our election areas access controlled. It was always, you know, people could walk in off the street and do voter registration or get precinct maps or lists, but because of the threats, the intent to do harm, uh, we had to take extra measures. So uh, we do have them in place. We do have security that comes through our office on a regular basis. Uh, we've had to install a, a number of layers of security, some that I'm not at liberties to, hmm. to uh, state about no, because we want to keep our staff safe, but we've had to expend money to do that. And it's been a burden on our sheriff department that does security for our building because at this time, uh, as in a lot of disciplines in life right now. It's hard finding staff. And, and in law enforcement, that's doubly true. So they're the ones that keep us safe.
0: It was interesting to hear you say earlier that uh, you provided more and more transparency, and yet some would remain unconvinced. Um, I imagine that's frustrating on one hand, and I guess on the other, do you have an instance of someone who is skeptical uh, whom you were able to speak with, you know, to run through the process with, and perhaps convince?
1: Sure. You know, we've always prided ourselves in in being transparent. And I understand the passion with which brings people to this station in their lives right now. I, they're concerned about the direction of their country. Uh, they feel like they're losing a grasp on the direction of the country, and it has, has concerns for them and their family and their Uh, Their fellow man. So I I understand that, and and I don't discount that. I I fully understand that. But of the 3,104 counties in the country, there's only a couple that went to the extra amount of transparency that we did. So we made our ballot images available. We made our cast vote records, which is how the machine read each one of those ballots so our citizens could match up and download on their computer the image and how the machine read each and every one of them. We brought in a third-party vendor by the name of Clear Audit that recabulated our our results. We created a ballot audit tool. We made it available for citizens to be their own citizen auditor. We've done tours and tours and tours I, and I'm not inflating this, but over the last two years, I probably have fielded the better part of a thousand phone calls and the one-on-ones that I've done with people over the phone. When you go over the layers of security and then checks and balances and the chain of custody logs and the fact that we do this with bipartisan election judges, and these judges are your neighbors. These are the people that you go to church with, or you work with, or, um, your kids play t ball with, uh, after 20, 25 minutes, they get to that. They say, okay, all right, Clerk Broman I, I believe you. I think we got it right. What, hmm. what about those folks in Denver or Spokane or or Indianapolis? And I have to tell them, I said, I, I think they do it with the same level of integrity and forthrightness as we do here. And so one-on-one, I can get people to that. But sometimes collective groups have been extremely difficult to move or to dissuade them of some of their misunderstanding of elections.
0: I want to put this delicately um, because I think the notion of clerks acting in nonpartisan ways is hugely important to you. And yet we're in this place where you, you do run as a Republican clerk or a Democratic clerk. You are a Republican clerk. And many of the false claims about the outcome of the 2020 election are coming from the GOP.
1: How do you deal with that as a Republican clerk? It's been extremely challenging. So in my party, at one time in a previous life, I was the El Paso County Republican chairman. And I worked hard at making El Paso County a stalwart when it comes to conservative ideas. The people that have been questioning or having concerns about elections and their belief in this false narrative they're my friends they're my neighbors those are people that i have worked with side by side in the trenches in in that previous life and to have them say that there's something not right and that i'm either standing in the doorway preventing them to, from getting to the truth or somehow a participant in that is a deeply troubling. I remember after one particular meeting with with a group of folks who were asking for a, a forensic audit, wanted to come in and, and look into my system. And I knew it wasn't right. And it was a particularly tough day. I went home and told my wife, she said, so what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to speak with forthrightness and honesty. I'm going to do the right thing. And she turned at me. She goes, you know, you will do so at great costs. And I said, I paused and I said, yes, I know, but I have to be true to myself. I have to be able to look in that mirror each day and look at that man in the in the mirror. And that's been the ordeal that I've had to go through for the last better part of two years is having your integrity questioned uh, when you're doing the right thing. Has it made you question being a Republican? Not at all. Not at all. I'm. I believe in the values and beliefs of the party mm-hmm. from when I was a young man, whether it came to issues of dignity and life, whether it was issues of free market enterprise. When I was a young man, I was a disciple of Milton Friedman. You know, when you're 16 mm-hmm. years <laughs> old, you're probably doing other things, hanging out <laughs> with your friends and stuff. I, I, I was reading Milton Freeman and the Free to Choose and about school choice and things. So, I'm a bit of a dork or a geek when it comes to that, but I believe the values of the Republican Party. It's unfortunate. You shouldn't judge an organization about some of its practitioners. You should judge it by its values and its beliefs.
0: Let's talk a bit about recruiting poll workers. Um, Politico has reported that some of them acting in bad faith in Michigan present a risk to election security. That report emphasizes that is an outlier and that most poll workers are there for the right reasons. Uh, Have you encountered anything fishy about the sorts of poll workers coming forward?
1: Have you had trouble recruiting poll workers? Yeah, you know, I think the economic conditions, trying to find just all laborers, have created extra struggles mm. uh, for us. So I think whether it's a Democrat election judges or Republicans, we've we've had challenges just recruiting in general. I have had some election judges, uh, not a lot, but a few who've told me that under this current climate, that they chose not to this election, but I want to be open for that possibility at other elections. Internal threats, insider threats. We would have never thought two years ago that there would be an insider threat. We always were trained in our cybersecurity training that we have to worry about those threats on the outside. And we saw in Mesa County, in Colorado itself, where we had an insider threat. You know, I hear of groups that are doing election judge training. And that's that's fine. That's great. Uh, learn as much as you can. But as an election judge, despite what someone may have trained you to do, when you come to our organization, we're going to train you and we, we will teach you about the statutes, the rules and procedures that we are required to do. It's not for us to say, well, we shouldn't do it that way. We should do it this way. So We've had to keep our eye on that and, and to caution people that um, they are our employees and that they need to act accordingly. You know, I, I'm a I'm about being ever watchful and vigilant. I love our election judges. They do a great job. Uh, they do so much for our community and for elections. But I think in this time, I have to also be watchful and vigilant.
0: Do you have any inkling that people have ulterior motives?
1: You know, I'm going to judge that on a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I can't comment, but I'm just going to be watchful. Do
0: you have some indication that the aftermath of 2022, these midterms, will be different from what you had to contend with as a clerk following the 2020 election?
1: Yeah, I think our elections after 2020 and 2021 and the primary were much different than we've ever had. Uh, We have had the extra scrutiny and watchful eyes. Uh, We had here in El Paso County, we had a very vigorous primary with groups of folks that had some skepticism about elections. They fortunately did not prevail and even despite losing by double-digit amounts, uh, sometimes in the case of 28 to 31 percent, they still didn't believe the results, asked for and paid for, they paid for, it wasn't on the taxpayer's dime, paid for a recount, and it was a very contentious, uh, arduous recount, a lot of pushing and pressure and uh, demands on our election system, a lot of misinformation and malinformation that was Put out by those folks about the conduct of the election, that something wasn't right. Uh, they characterized our equipment in being in a state of error. When it was not, it was doing exactly what it was designed to do. It seemed as though they had a bias or agenda, and anything they saw that caused them pause, it was automatically chalked up as something fraudulent or not right occurring.
0: And you're not afraid that that's going to be so, I guess, potent after 2022?
1: I think this is a 10-year process. Uh, I think Hmm. if you look at uh, being a student of history, looking at the 2000 election with what happened in Florida. Hanging chads, Chuck. Remember hanging
0: chads, Yep.
1: It it took the better part of a decade for the uh, republic to uh, recover from that. And I think that's going to be the same way probably here. I think for the next decade, we'll probably be having to... Deal with the skepticism. It'll probably lead to enhancements of what we do. I think that's what we saw in Florida, with the Help America Vote Act in in America, and especially here in Colorado. We're a very mobile society, especially true here in El Paso County, when we have five military installations. Mm. On average, uh, a person moves every eight years, so fifteen percent of people are moving, and while a good chunk of them notify the Postal Service and do a change of address. Not everybody does. So having additional tools so that we can keep our voter registration list more spot on, I think there's going to be changes. I think they're going to be probably for the better. And hopefully we grow from that and we're in a better spot eight or 10 years from now than when we are today. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah.
0: El Paso County Clerk Chuck Roerman And our election transparency series continues tomorrow and Friday with the candidates for secretary of state. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. ¿Quiénes somos nosotros? Who are we?
2: I mean, now I feel like a Mexican-American man versus just feeling like a part-time Mexican and a part-time white wannabe guy.
0: I'm May Ortega, and CPR's new podcast, Quien Are We?, is all about being Latinx, Hispanic, Chicana, and the beautiful things that make us who we are. Look for Quien Are We? everywhere you listen. Mid to late October is when we usually see the first snow in Denver. Last year, the first measurable snowfall didn't happen until December, which, by the way, is the latest first snowfall on record. Let's get some perspective now on weather and climate. In our regular chat with Denver 7 chief meteorologist Mike Nelson. Hi, Mike. Hi, Ryan.
3: Nice to be with you.
0: In terms of moisture and temperature, how is this fall stacking up against previous ones?
3: Well, we've had about four inches of rain since July, and that's about an inch and a half below normal interesting this is not related to colorado but seattle which you'd expect to be all wet all the time has only had a half an inch of rain at the same time serving a terrible drought in the pacific northwest we're a little bit drier here uh but it has not been uh, too bad we've had a few timely rains that have helped out
0: okay is that all part of the same phenomenon that we'd be fairly dry and seattle would be fairly dry
3: a little bit but we've had a northwesterly flow which is the continuation of this la niña trend that we have the la niña as we've talked about in the past is the cooler ocean water in the equatorial pacific it's the cool cousin if you will or the opposite of el nino and it changes the position of the jet stream and generally brings in a northwesterly flow uh across the united states so at this particular time it's kind of missing the pacific northwest driving the storms more to the north of the Pacific Northwest in Canada, then we catch a little bit of that on the southern fringe.
0: Mm. Well, let's talk about snow. Uh, Do you think we might break yet another record in terms of when first snowfall comes?
3: No, I think we'll get it sooner than that. It was December 10th of last year before we had our first snow, and that is by far the all-time longest. It beat the old mark of uh, the 21st of November. Uh, but I'm looking at a couple of signs of a, a front or two that might hit between now and the end of the month and perhaps bring us our first snow.
0: You're looking at a couple of signs. Don't hide this from us, Mike Nelson. What are your sources? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, just the long-range ma- uh, computer models that we look at. Uh, the, the, interestingly, they kind of differ. One that looks like it'd be something in about 10 days, and the other one says, nah, won't be 10 days. It'll be more like about the two and a half weeks. But both of the models that I like to... Uh, look at for long range stuff is uh indicating i think we might see our first snow before the end of before halloween
0: before halloween oh all right the 31st yeah. um what what are those models who produces those are this like NOAA government <laughs> models or something
3: Uh, Yes, Uh, there's a a couple of different models that the United States does. The Canadians have a model. The Europeans have a model. The Japanese have a model. And they all have different physics in them and different uh, layers that they slice and dice the atmosphere into. And then they run that through their supercomputers. And so it all has the same data going in. But then these models do all of these uh, calculations. And you can very often get very different things coming out. You might remember with uh, Ian the hurricane Mm. that uh, they showed a lot of those what they called spaghetti models and it showed all those different squiggly lines of where the track of the hurricane would be each one of those different uh computer programs will come up with a slightly different answer and then you can kind of take the consensus of that and perhaps hope that the the accuracy is meeting in the middle
0: that's interesting is there one model you find to be more accurate than another like do you place a lot of uh, I don't know uh, trust in the Canadians, for instance, or something like that. Is one boy-
3: <laughs> yeah. interesting to note that with uh, with years of experience, you kind of find that in certain situations, uh, the uh, the American model might work better than the European model will, or in certain times, it seems like one or the other might be uh, uh, just performing better, almost like. A, personification be like an athlete is having a good run. Sometimes hmm. it seems like the models handle a given weather situation. One might do it better than another.
0: We know that climate change brings more weather extremes. Could we see perhaps fewer snowstorms, but maybe more intense ones?
2: There's that
3: possibility. Climate change changes everything. It makes droughts more droughty. It makes floods wetter. It makes heat waves hotter and it can even create cold waves because you might remember a couple of years ago when Texas got completely frozen out and they had lost their power and a big problem a couple of winters ago, uh, there was a displacement of the jet stream that drove the cold air from where it would normally be up in Canada, far southward. And that's a phenomenon called Arctic amplification. As the Arctic gets warmer the jet stream flow gets a little weaker if you will and gets more bendy and almost like you think about a a slow moving meandering river that would get big swirls and changes in it and every once in a while that can actually cause the coldest air to slip farther south seems counterintuitive Mm. as the world gets warmer texas might get colder but again that's the difference between global temperature and regional weather
0: uh, on this subject of climate change, you recently tweeted news from NASA about the expected increase in extreme heat stress days. That's not a phrase that I uh, heretofore was familiar with. Um, this is you know, expected to come by the latter part of the century. Extreme heat stress. I suppose the stress is on us. It's on other creatures. It's on all sorts of things.
3: Correct. Correct. Um- We're lucky here in the high plains that we don't have a lot of humidity. So in the heat waves of summer uh, in the Midwest and the Southeast, I mean, you've got the combination of heat and the humidity here. We will get hotter temperatures, but we'll also tend to be drier. And so our climate, if we don't stop uh, increasing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh, from the burning of fossil fuels, by 2060, Denver's climate will be more like that of Amarillo, Texas. And Amarillo, Texas, I don't even want to think about what that will be like. But mm. by the end of this century, by 2100, Denver would actually have a climate that would be more like that of northern Mexico. So you think about everything that you see out there, the type of flora and fauna and the type of wildlife that we have. And then think about the type that you'd see in Amarillo, Texas, or in northern Mexico. And things are going to look very, very different around here.
0: Well, the good news with the bad, I suppose, uh, that long-term trend, but the notion that snow might be coming earlier than it did last. Mike, thanks so much <laughs> for running through that with us.
3: Ryan, always a pleasure. And uh, I just I don't want to leave it on a downer note. We can fix this. We still have the technology We have the ability to uh, cut back on the amount of fossil fuels that we're burning, the amount of carbon that we're putting in the atmosphere that will stay there for centuries, but we can still do this. And so we have great technology and uh, the capacity to fix things. And so I remain very hopeful.
0: Mike Nelson is Denver 7 chief meteorologist, and he joins us each month to talk about all things weather and climate. This is Colorado Matters from CBR News.
3: He was called the Man of a Thousand Faces. Lon Chaney was born in Colorado Springs in 1883. The child of deaf parents and grandson of the founder of the Colorado School for the Deaf and Blind, Chaney mastered pantomime at a young age. After a start as a prop boy at the Colorado Springs Opera House, he became an actor. First vaudeville stages, then Hollywood, during the era when body language and facial expressions did the talking. In film after film, using makeup and sometimes torturous costumes, he played the role of the outsider with conviction, strapping his shins behind him to become a man with no legs, bending his nose upward with wire to create the skull-like face of the Phantom of the Opera, and harnessing 50 pounds to his shoulders as the hunchback of Notre Dame. And he did it all for more than shock value. As Cheney wrote, the lowest types of humanity may have within them the capacity for supreme self-sacrifice. A Colorado postcard from CPR, with support from Sheets and Giggles.
0: Halloween decorations are going up. I went on a hayride this past weekend. But before you know it, there will be tinsel and menorahs, which is why we want to talk ever so briefly about the Colorado Matters Holiday Extravaganza in December. It's a big old production that we record on a stage in front of an audience. And we have opened a contest to musical acts specifically from Southern Colorado, CPR's Dan Boyce, who's based in Colorado Springs, and Vicky Greger, longtime music director at KRCC, will review the entries.
4: All right, first, so why Southern Colorado? Well, that's where Vicky and I work, and and we wanted our part of the state represented in the extravaganza, right?
2: That is right. And
4: uh, so, Vicky, so for the purposes of this contest, we're going to make this simple. We're going to define Southern Colorado as South of the town of Castle Rock and east of the Continental Divide. So basically the southeast quadrant of the state. The winning act needs to be based somewhere in there. And Vicky, what kind of act are we looking for?
2: Well, whatever, Dan, a solo performer, an ensemble, we're hoping to get as many entries as possible playing We have an entry for him online where you will upload audio or video of the song you'd like to play for the holiday show. And you and I will pick the winner.
4: Right. So you can either uh, celebrate us or we're the ones to blame uh, based on who ends up (laughs) on stage. And here's the deal with this. You do not need to be a professional musician for this. We really would love to see more entries than fewer ones. And we also ask that the song just be seasonal somehow for this December show. You can interpret that how you like, but that's the kind of stuff that we're looking for.
2: Yeah, also, I mean, we welcome covers of holiday songs, but what we'd really prefer to hear are your original songs that celebrate or mark the season.
4: Even better if it celebrates the season and how about Southern Colorado as well? Brilliant. Yeah, so please uh, reach out to any musicians you know in Southern Colorado you think might want To enter, not only would that act get to perform in front of the live audience for the show, but the song will also be broadcast statewide on Colorado Matters. And we're telling you right now because this is when the contest is open now until the end of October.
2: That's right. A Halloween deadline. For your Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, or other December holiday song. And you can find the entry form at krcc.org slash holiday contest.
4: Yep, that's krcc.org slash holiday contest. Thanks so much, and we can't wait to hear your songs.
0: Dan Boyce and Vicki Greger. And in addition to the statewide exposure, this is a paying gig. We'll put you up in a hotel near the venue as well. Happy holidays. Can't wait to see what comes in. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from listener-supported CPR News and KRCC.